How many of you are just tired today? Don't raise your hands. I don't want to put you through the stress. Uh, are you tired today? It's tiring. Life can be exhausting. And, and you know, the cold weather, we get through the winter and it just takes that out of you, doesn't it? Right? It's just exhausting. You think summer's coming. And summer comes and it's hot. And it's exhausting. And we're just tired all the time. Okay, maybe I'm exaggerating. Maybe I'm not. Sometimes I think we're tired because we work really hard. Maybe you have a very physical job or, or a physical hobby or you do a lot of yard work. I don't, but maybe you do uh, and you're just tired. Or maybe, you know, frankly, maybe you're staying up too late. I know I have that problem sometimes. And I just get very, very tired. Maybe we're tired because we're too busy. We pack too many things into our schedule, too many good things, maybe some not so good things. And, and we're just go, 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 go all the time. Maybe you're tired because of stress. Maybe there's a situation going on right now in your life, in your home, at your job, and, and your stress level is up to here. It's above what you can manage, and, and it just wears you out, and it saps your strength. Maybe you're tired today because there's sin in your life. Sin is exhausting. Bearing the weight of guilt, bearing the shame, bearing the, the fear that others might find out, that's exhausting. And it can bring along with it an appropriate sense of being tired. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. What a great verse, isn't it? Isaiah chapter 40, 31. And I hear a verse like that, and I think, I want that. That right there. Sign me up for that right there. I want to live in such a way that I don't have to be tired. I want to live in such a way that I'm not bearing all these burdens, that I can run with perseverance. I can soar on wings like eagles. I can just keep going. I want that to be true of me. But then there's this little voice inside of me going, but it's not. I'm tired. And maybe you're tired here today. So how? How do we hope in the Lord in such a way that we can have our strength renewed? How do we walk in such a way that we don't grow weary? We've been walking through the book of Hebrews. We've been challenged by one thing after another, these core truths about Jesus Christ, why He is greater than everything else any other way of salvation, any other hope, anything else that we might cling to. And now we're moving into chapter 12. We've come out of this great hall of faith chapter in chapter 11. And we're beginning into chapter 12 and there's a big transition. And it starts with this imperative, this command in this verse. And unlike Isaiah chapter 40, where it's this great encouragement, you're going to be able to run and not grow weary. This verse is a command. Run with perseverance. That's the heart and soul. Let me just read. We're going to look at only two verses this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Now you might be thinking, wait a minute, you started by talking about how tired we all are, and and I was with you, and now you're saying to these tired people, hey, run! (laughs) It's like the parent that you go to, I just can't go on, I can't go on. Work harder. That's the kind of parent I am. That's how I handle my kids. And just got to work harder. We've been cleaning house because my brother's in town. And so that's, that's, an all, that's like an all-week affair trying to clean house uh, to get ready for guests. And it's exhausting, you know, because my kids work for like 20 minutes and they're tired. And in my sensitivity, I say, I don't care. Work harder. You've got to keep going. And maybe you're feeling like that today. So I want to be careful. I just want to give a little bit of subtext here at the beginning. There is encouragement here. There's a command, yes, even in our tiredness and our exhaustion, we are to run. But we're going to look, because the rest of this passage, these two verses talk about how to run and what enables us to run. And I think you will find great encouragement here. And one of the things I want you to remember, and this is a key truth in Scripture, God always always, always enables what God commands. Did you catch that? God always enables, makes possible what God commands. God never, ever commands us to do something that he does not supply the strength and the ability to do. So when we come to Hebrews chapter 12 and this great command to run, get up, get going, we can't forget the first 11 chapters of Hebrews, especially the first 10 chapters that talked about all the amazing things that Christ has done for us. All of that is brought into this verse. And all of it is under this assumption because Christ has done this. Because he saved us, because he's serving right now, we'll look at a second, right now at the right hand of God the Father, because he's right there working for you, you are able to run. So run. Now, of course, we're not actually talking about physical running, for which I praise God because I don't like it, but we're talking about living a life. Scripture often uses the word walk. How do you walk in your life? The walk of life. We understand that. It's not too foreign to us today. So there's this idea of living equals walking. Just the day-to-day, one foot in front of the other. So this takes it to another level. Run. Don't just walk. Don't just walk along doing your thing, but put effort into it. Run and run hard. Run with perseverance. So we're going to look at how we are to run encouraged. We'll look at these examples of the faith that are brought in from chapter 11 to encourage us. How we are to run light, casting off burdens, these things that are too heavy for us to bear and weighing us down, distracting us from our course. And we're going to look at how we are to run focused. So let's start with the encouraging part. It's always a good place to start. Run encouraged. And the author says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud, of witnesses. And if you haven't been with us the past, I think it's been about three weeks we spent in Hebrews chapter 11, I encourage you to go back and read the chapter, at the very least, on your own. Also, the sermons are online if you want to listen to those. But the point of that chapter is to hold up before us what we call the heroes of faith. Those who lived lives of faithfulness. But what we said as we walked through that passage was, yes, They are great encouragement because of their example of faithfulness. That's true. 
but more so they are examples of God's faithfulness to them. Our faith always points people to God's faithfulness. So the things that they were applauded for throughout the chapter, so many of them weren't things that those people did, but things that God did for them. Daniel didn't shut the mouth of the lions. He couldn't do it. God shut the mouth of the lions. And so Daniel is an example of trusting in the lion-shutting, no, the mouth-shutting God that Daniel trusted in. Okay? So we're looking beyond these people to the Lord that was faithful to them. But by doing so, we get encouraged to say the God of Daniel, the God of David, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the God of Abraham, the God of Moses, that's the same God that is at work in your job today, in your family today, in whatever situation that it is that is bringing you to this point and you saying, I'm tired, the same God that helped them is at work in those situations. That's the encouragement. And it's great because they're described like this crowd around a a huge sporting event. And, And if you've ever competed in anything, it's one thing to be in practice. It's one thing to be behind the scenes with your team and, and you're getting ready and you go through the plays or, or you practice your runs or I was a Bible quizzer when I was a kid. You, you practice your Bible quizzing, whatever it is. But when you get out in front of the crowd and they're cheering you on, there is this indescribable feeling, could be nervousness, but it's also an excitement. I want to do well because there's this great crowd here. But it's interesting because at a sporting event, or really most any other event, the crowd that is there is not equipped to do what the participants are doing. They're cheering on others to do something different. If you were to go to an NFL football game, while you might think you know more than the people on the field, that's probably not true, if we're honest. They live and breathe this stuff. Okay, and, and even if you, it's true that you do know more, which is probably not, but even if it is, you certainly aren't going to be able to go down on the field and do it better than they are. Guaranteed, no way. I, I, I'm looking around the room. I'm thinking none of us are going to be able to do that. No offense, including me. And so, yes, there's an excitement of being in front of the crowd, but at the same time as a participant in the sport, these people that are cheering you on don't really understand what it's like to be on the field. It's encouraging sometimes, <laughs> except for the heckling. But, the, but you know the whole time, they don't really get it. I hope they're enjoying it. I hope they're pleased with what I do. But the truth is, they don't really get it. This is different. This is a crowd of like-minded people who have gone through what you've been through, have endured, have trusted in the same God that we're trusting in, and they're cheering us on with the words of, I've been there, and I'm living proof that you can do this. And I'm living proof that God is faithful. I imagine, as a marathon runner, it's a wonderful thing to run into a stadium at at the end of a marathon or to run into the crowd. I imagine that's great. But I would imagine it would be even better if that stadium was filled with marathon runners. Because they get it. They understand what you've just gone through. They're cheering you on knowing the hurt right at that moment. 
So these people are examples to us. They've gone before us. They've lived a faithful life. Now here's, again, going back to the former sermons, not perfectly. Okay? And in, in many ways, that's why I'm encouraged by some of these great heroes of the faith, because they weren't perfect, and I'm encouraged by that, because if God can do great things through them, I think he can do great things through us too. Moses messed up. Abraham messed up. David messed up. A lot of those great heroes of the faith had huge character flaws and struggled with sin just like us. And yet, they are held up as examples of faithfulness and they're certainly held up as examples of God being faithful to them. But here's another reason why they're a great crowd. They're part of the same story that you're a part of. See, a story started in the Garden of Eden when God created the world. That story came under fire. It came under threat from a worldly point of view when sin entered the world. And yet every single person throughout history that is held up here as God using them, working through them as part of his plan is testimony to the fact that plan has not failed. Amen. And now, those people in this crowd cheering us on are saying, we were a part of that plan. It's your turn now. The plan continues through you. And we know that Christ has been faithful and will continue to be faithful. Your story is bigger than just your story. My story is bigger than just my story. Our story as a church is not truly about Orchard Community Church. It's not. It's about the kingdom of God that stretches all the way back into eternity past and all the way forward into eternity future. And that story will never fail. And this crowd of witnesses is cheering us on as a testimony. That story and that God faithful to that story is the one who's faithful to you. Is that encouraging? Absolutely. We're part of the same story and the same plan. And now as we think about running, and we think about this encouragement to run, we have to remember, as I said earlier, what Hebrews has been about up until this point. I love what's called expositional preaching. It's what we try to do here at Orchard, uh, where we just walk through verse by verse. Somebody came up to me Sunday, a visitor, and just said, I just love that you walk through verse by verse. And I'm, doesn't everybody do that? I just thought that was the thing to do. Maybe I don't know any better. But I, that's the way I think Scripture should be treated. Because it's God's word, not ours. But there is a slight danger in doing, like we're just doing two verses today, right? That it becomes this self-encapsulated thing and we ignore everything else. So it's my job to make sure we don't do that. We have to remember the entire context of the book of Hebrews. When it says run, it's all based on everything that's come before. Jesus is the once for all Savior. All sin in the entire world can be paid for by Jesus Christ and only paid for by Jesus Christ. Jesus is our great high priest. Right now, you stand unashamed. If you're saved by Jesus Christ, you stand unashamed in the very presence of God because, because, because Jesus is serving as our high priest and declaring to his Father, this one's mine. And he's actively working on our behalf to sanctify us and to help us to follow his holy plan. That's encouraging. So so let's not forget the context of Hebrews as we understand the encouragement of this verse. So we are to run encouraged. 
we are also to run light. Imagine a runner at the beginning of a marathon. And the runner knows. I imagine, again, I'm not a runner, so Chris, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm way out of my league here. I imagine you get a little thirsty on a marathon. Fair to say? Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm good so far. <sighs> Google's very helpful on these things. So the, so the runner thinks, I've got to make sure I stay hydrated. What's the best way to stay hydrated? Well, I'll get some furniture straps and, and a mini fridge. And just strap it on my back. If I have a long enough extension cord, this will be fine. And then I could just grab a nice cold water whenever I need it. Or, you know, fancy Gatorade or something. So have that. I imagine it's pretty hot out on the race course. You both, that's right, you all run. Okay, anybody else run marathons? God bless you. Pray for your sanity. Okay. Um, no, that's awesome. I applaud you. I don't understand you, but I applaud you. I imagine it gets hot out there. Some days. Some days you might wish it was a little warmer. So they think, you know what? Again, I've already got the fridge on my back. I'll just take a big golf umbrella and stick it right in there. It'll hold on, maybe a little duct tape, and just open it up real big. And then I can walk. I can run in the shade. No big deal. Would the runner do this? No. One, you'd look pretty silly, but I'm guessing that's not the worst of it. It's heavy, isn't it? It weighs you down. It slows you down. In fact, so much so that when you watch a runner at the beginning of a race, I, I, I remember this vividly from the Olympics and really any sporting events, you see them walk in with sort of their track, their workout clothes, and then the sweatshirt or the workout jacket comes off. The long pants come off. The gym bag is set on the bench. And anything that they don't need in that moment, in that event, gets left on the bench. And all they wear out there is the bare minimum that they need to participate in that event. Now, there's a difference between the Christian life and these sorts of events. Because runners do this at the beginning of the race. And that's not what's being spoken of here. These people are Christians. The author has addressed them as Christians every step along the way. They're already saved. And yet he's still telling them, throw off these things. So he's not saying, because before you come to the Lord, before you come to Christ, take stock of your life and get rid of these awful things in your life. Now that's good, and that's appropriate as we think about repentance of sin and accepting Jesus as your Savior. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the Christian, already on the marathon course, already running the race with Jesus Christ, and he's instructing them along the race course, right now at this moment, take stock of your life. And it's time to run lighter. I had a friend that walked, hiked, the Appalachian Trail. I can't remember how long it took him. It was three or four months. And casting off weight was a constant thing for him. At each step along the way, he would open his pack and he would go through it and take out anything he didn't need. He said the first stop was the worst. He sent a huge package home because he realized he had brought way too much stuff. And it would be better to, for his family and for people along the way to send him things rather than to carry it all along the, the trail. And so with the Christian life, casting off of our baggage and our burdens is a constant, ongoing thing. And we all need to constantly take stock. And he tells us to do this with two important areas. He says, 
let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I want to take these in reverse order. The first is throw off sin. We have absorbed a way of thinking in our culture that whatever you want to do is what's best for you. The Bible says that there are things that God has said are out of line with His plan, out of line with His holiness, and ultimately hurtful, harmful for you and for me. And by holding on to these things, we are strapping the fridge to our back and trying to run. We're hurting ourselves. That's the image I get out of this. The runner that holds on to these mammoth things that are harmful to them is hurting him or herself along the way, no matter how our culture tries to redefine these things. And so we need to come to Christ and we need to say, my Savior in this area, I've been fighting you. You have declared this to be wrong. And I'm going to trust you in that. And I'm casting it off. It's already been forgiven by our Savior. We're not saving ourselves by casting it off. It's already been forgiven. But we're able then to run with perseverance the race that Christ has marked out for us. We need to throw off sin. The other interesting thing about this is that, and listen to this because some of you need this encouragement this morning. If I'm reading this passage right, and I pray I am for all of our sakes, if I'm reading it right, sin can be thrown off. Amen? Whatever sin is plaguing you right now in your life does not have to plague you. It can be thrown off. Otherwise, why would God command us to throw off sin that so easily entangles? If it's impossible, God wouldn't command it. What God commands, God enables. God has enabled us to throw off sin. He's already saved us from it. He has made it weak in our life so it will not have total and ultimate victory over us. And yet sometimes we still cling to it. It's like running with your shoelaces tied together and running with a burden on our backs. Sin can be thrown off. Along with this, sin doesn't define us. Listen to me. Sin does not define us. How many times do you see somebody struggling with something and their answer is, well, that's just the way I am. Or sometimes they take it farther. That's the way God made me. No, He didn't. God cannot, cannot create sin. Cannot. Can't. You say, well, God can do anything. No, actually He can't. He can't do that. God cannot create sin and he cannot cause sin. God did not make someone sinful. And there's hope in that. So instead of just embracing our sin, we need to call it what it is and cast it off because it's hurting us along the way. We look at it as helping us along the way, but we need a God-shaped vision, a God-shaped perspective on our life to say this thing is hurting me and I want to cast it off. And God has already enabled us to do that. But I said there were two things we were to throw off. One is sin. Now again, going back to the runner analogy, I'm assuming there are some things as a runner that there's probably a handbook somewhere for the race or whatever. Again, correct me if I'm wrong. And there's probably certain things you can't do, right? The rocket-powered skateboard, I'm guessing, is somewhere in the rule books not allowed. You know, any motorized, assisted, whatever. Not okay along the race. Is that, do you get like a list you have to sign or something saying you're going to 
No. So you could just get in your car and go and nobody... Okay. All right. So there you go. So there are some things that clearly... Got it. Maybe I could be a runner. (laughs) Get my skateboard. I'm good to go. So there are some things I'm sure that the runner can look at and say these are... These are illegal in the race. And there are things as Christians we can look at and say these are things that God has specifically said are wrong. They are sin. But look at what else he says there. Let us throw off everything that hinders. And then he says, and the sin that so easily entangles. These are two different things. One is throw off sin. This is wrong. It's out of line with God's holy will. But there's this other thing. Everything that hinders. Now here's the interesting thing. I'm guessing any serious runner, if they open up the rule book and don't see the mini fridge strapped to their back as being against the rules, I'm guessing they're still going to say, but you know, it's not in the rule book. I'm still not going to do it because it's not going to help me to run the race. I pray that as Christians, we would have that mentality. Instead of just looking at everything and saying, is it right or is it wrong? To say, does it bring glory to God and help me to run the race? Let's have a higher standard. Now be careful with that. That's your standard and my standard for ourselves. The moment we take that standard and put it on somebody else, we have fallen into legalism. We can't do that. But we need to look at our own lives and say, you know what? This thing that I'm doing hours every week, nothing wrong with it. It doesn't say anything against it in Scripture. But it's keeping me from running hard after Jesus Christ. And maybe I need to cut back on that in my life so I can be more intentional about following Christ and serving Him. Let's throw off sin and let's throw off everything that hinders and run light And let me tell you before we move on, there's a freedom that comes from that. My family just, this is a poor illustration, but I'll give it anyway. We just cleaned out our basement. We're trying to do some renovations, make a living room down. Man, we had so much junk in our basement. And and I will tell you, all four of my kids, maybe not Ainsley, she's only four, but she probably didn't know what was going on, but the rest of them, when that pile was out on the street of stuff we were getting rid of, we all looked at each other and said, this feels good. We needed to get rid of this. It just every day that we walked into the basement, every time we tried to find something we needed, every time we went to do laundry, every time we just tried to use that space to do day-to-day life, all that stuff was weighing on us. Even though it was in boxes we hadn't seen in 10 years. It was just this weight on us. And so we went, went through it and got rid of stuff. A lot of that weight was lifted. Listen to me, that's a dumb illustration, okay? How much more so laying aside the sin in our lives and laying aside the things that are weighing us down in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Throw them off and run lighter. Finally, run focused. We need to run intentionally focused. And we need to be very careful where that focus is. Look at the end of verse 1. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, 
fixing our eyes on Jesus. There's two things there we need to focus on, and really they're both the same. But the first is the race that's been marked out for us. There's a common theme in Christianity today. Find out what makes you happy and do that and God will bless it. There is some truth in that. Okay, I, I don't want to just throw it away as that's awful and that's dumb. There, there's some, God wants us to be happy. He has wired us to enjoy certain things. That's true. And he does like to bless us in those. That's all true. Okay, So I don't want to be overly critical here. But the Christian life is not a matter of finding what you want and finding your own way and running in that. God didn't waste a couple thousand years of revelation to us so that we could just find our own way and whatever makes us happy. God has laid out a course for us. It's a plan from the very beginning. A plan for His kingdom accomplished through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church that carries the gospel in the world and lives as His representatives in this world of grace and salvation and also holiness. And Christ is coming back one day. That course has been charted. It has been laid out. Your way of running on it might look different than mine, and that's okay. But we don't get to make up a whole different course. So we need to focus on and learn God's plan that has been laid out for us. And then we need to focus on Jesus. Because if our focus isn't on Jesus Christ, I guarantee we're missing out on what we think is God's plan. Because God's plan is always focused on Jesus Christ. And we are told to fix our eyes on Jesus. What does that mean? We need to know him. In my Sunday school class, in just a few minutes, we'll be going through just a quick overview of the entire New Testament. Totally easy in 45 minutes or less. And, and I thought, I really wrestled this week, where do I start? And I thought, you've got to start with Jesus. Because if you're going to do an overview of the New Testament, frankly, if you're going to do an overview of Scripture at all, it's got to be about Jesus Christ. And the New Testament goes to great length, book after book after book, and we've seen it in Hebrews. Know who Jesus is. Know who he is as the great teacher. Know who he is as Emmanuel, God with us. Know who he is as the new covenant savior. Know who he is as the sacrificed lamb that was sacrificed on your behalf. Know who he is as your great high priest, teaching us, instructing us, and serving us. And the New Testament goes on and on and on. Know Jesus more. If you're not sure what to do in your Christian life right now, if you're just sort of stagnating, start there. Right there. Somehow, some way, get involved in something that will help you to know Jesus Christ better through the revealed Word of God. Start there. I guarantee service opportunities will flow out of that. Mission opportunities will flow out of that. Increased discipleship and depth of relationship with Christ will flow out of that. Start by getting to know Jesus better. Focus on Jesus Christ. And then focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ says you and I are horribly lost, hopeless sinners. And it is impossible for us to save ourselves. That's the beginning of the gospel. We can't skip over that. But God sent his son to die in our place. And he rose from the grave victorious over sin and death. So there's this great need, there's this great solution, and there's this great proof of it. 
And we need to live each and every day seeing every moment through the lens of the gospel. As we fix our eyes on Jesus, we will see our problems through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we struggle with somebody at work, we'll say, you know what? They're a sinner just like I am. They might be seeing the situation wrong, but I might be seeing it wrong too because I'm also a sinner. That person, if they're not already, can be saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And my greatest calling in this moment is not to fix them, but to point them to Jesus. And their greatest calling in this moment is not to fix me. And so I don't have to submit to their fixing of me. I have a great fixer. I'll serve him very much. Thank you. But to look through the lens of the gospel at everything, remembering our sin, remembering our Savior, and living in the reign of Jesus Christ. And as we hear this call to run, we have to understand it's all been made possible through Christ. He is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He is the one who set the gospel in motion and accomplished it. He's already done it as the pioneer and perfecter. The one who goes before us and accomplishes the race that we're already on. And so we need to trust in that. We need to be encouraged to say this struggle that I'm facing right now is already finished in Christ. I don't know what the outcome is, but I know it brings glory to God. And I will persevere and I will run hard. He is the pioneer and perfecter, but he's also the greatest example of running with perseverance. Here the Son of God faced what is far worse, I think, than anything you and I will ever face. The choice. Would he go to the cross and endure probably the worst possible way to die made up by humanity. And to do so in a way that he didn't deserve at all. Or would he do his own thing? And would he get out of it and say, no, I don't want to do that? He faced that choice. And Hebrews holds him up as this great example of perseverance because he faced that choice and said, I will go to the cross. And I will go to the cross not for this momentary pleasure and joy or happiness that I want right now, but because on the other side of that suffering, I see something far superior for the joy set before him. Jesus wanted to go to the cross for you and for me so that one day we could be with Him forever. And He said, I find a greater joy in those people being with me forever than me escaping the punishment and the suffering of the cross. And so for the joy set before Him, He went to the cross. He was willing to suffer. And the book of Hebrews has been and will continue to challenge us as it did the original recipient. It's hard, but keep going. It's hard. You're going to suffer. Often, your obedience to Christ doesn't avoid suffering. Often, it brings it. But it's worth it. Because the joy set before us is greater than the suffering that we're going through. And it says He is sitting right at the right hand of God the Father. The Bible describes sometimes Jesus standing, sometimes Him sitting. And some people have come to me, wait a minute, which is it? First of all, it's more of a metaphor, really. And and they emphasize two things. Standing is usually working on our behalf. Serving. And he's doing that constantly. Sitting represents the finished work of Christ. And that's also true. 
Yes, he's presently working. Yes, his work's already been done. How does that work out? When I become an infinite being, I'll try to explain it better. But until then, which will never happen, I don't know how that works. I'll leave that one up to God. But he is finished. That's what this image here, he is sitting, it is finished, it's already accomplished. But it also says he's interceding on our behalf. He is co-ruling, co-reigning with God over eternity. That's a pretty good place to fix our eyes on. The end of your race is secure. In fact, it's not just that you're going to make it. It's literally that the race has already been run for you. You're simply finishing what's already been accomplished. It's done. You just have to keep going. We need to run focused because we get easily distracted. Look, you might be tired this morning. And maybe the last thing you want to hear is some pastor standing up here and saying, run, run hard for Jesus. But I want you to hear that call to run comes with great encouragement. And and frankly, sometimes we miss out on the encouragement because we don't run. We sit back and we say, I can't, I won't, I can't be forgiven, I can't have these burdens lifted, and so we don't get to experience it. But along the walk with Jesus Christ, along the race of running hard after Jesus Christ, there is joy immeasurable as those burdens are stripped off one after another. Run encouraged. Run light. Evaluate your life today. Take some time and say, what what do I need to cast off? Run focused. Get to know Christ better. Look at your life and your events of your life through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And finally, run with perseverance. It's long. It's hard. This relationship with Christ is not easy. There is joy, but it is hard. But the strength to run is already there. It's already been won by Jesus Christ and constantly given to us by Jesus Christ. So run in faith. You might say, I can't. You're right. I can't either. And neither could anybody in Hebrews chapter 11. But their testimony is in spite of the fact that they couldn't, God could. And they did because of that. Get up tomorrow. Step up today. Run in faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, This is in many ways a strange encouragement. The strange encouragement that comes as a command to run and to run hard, to run with perseverance and to a weary soul that that may not seem like encouragement at all. But to know that the race course has been charted out, it is not for us to make it up. It is not on us. It is not our burden to bear to make up that course. It is there. That's encouraging. To know that we are surrounded by people who have been there, who are going and have gone before us and are saying, that God that you're trusting in who sent His Son to save you, He is faithful. That's encouraging. To keep our eyes on Jesus Christ who has already accomplished our salvation, who enables us every step along the way, no matter how painful it may be. That's encouraging. And to know that the victory through Jesus Christ is assured. 
We don't run hoping we will finish. We run knowing Christ already has finished. And we are trusting in that trophy, that medal, accomplished for us through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And so may we run. And may we run together, encouraging one another along the way. And God, I pray today, if anyone here is tired, may we all take a good look at our lives and say, what is it that's weighing us down? Maybe a lot of it's not anything we can do about it other than just trusting you. But maybe some of it, just maybe, is stuff that we need to look at and say, this is sin. And I'm going to lay it at the feet of my Lord and Savior because I want to run light. Or maybe we look at it and say, this just isn't part of the run. And it doesn't bring glory to you and may we give that to you as well. We pray this in the powerful, victorious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.